So uh, if you're new, my name is Michael, and I'm uh, here on staff as a pastor here, and will be sent out to help start Eastside Church. And we've been in a series on, on the Holy Spirit, because part of our vision statement here is to be a Spirit-filled family. And so we've been asking, what, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to empower us to be His people, to be Christ's people? Um, and this morning, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screen later. But we're really going to look at what does it mean to, to walk by the Spirit so that we can produce the fruit of a loving community. And this passage has been one that's just personally impacted me a lot, uh, especially in the last year. Uh, and actually, honestly, this weekend, I just felt my own need to hear this passage again. So let me pray and we'll, we'll dive into the sermon this morning. Father, thank you so much that you are just such a gracious and compassionate God that you know our frame that we're but dust. You know our weaknesses and yet you have compassion on us. So I pray, Father, this morning, would you help us to lean in to what you want to speak? Would you help us in our weakness? Would you help us if we come in this morning empty and feeling weighed down or coming in full, to hear from you. Father, I just feel my own weakness this morning. And so would you just help me to speak well, to speak your words and only your words. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let me read from Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This morning as we dig into this passage, we're going to see how Paul kind of draws out four different contrasts. And the first contrast he he lays out is a difference in in community. And uh, community is something that's really important, right? It's something, in fact, so important, we've said it's one of our three core values here, gospel, community, mission. And that's because we believe that actually as human beings, we were made to be in relationship. 
We are not made to be alone. And, and I think regardless of kind of where you come from today, your background, I, I think we know that, right? We weren't meant to live alone. We're meant to be in community, and not just any type of community, but a loving community. Right? One, one where there's love and, and welcome. And yet, it seems so hard to find that, doesn't it? I mean, as, as we look around our world, it, it seems like that type of community is sorely lacking. I think if you feel this right now, this time of year, Tuesday, Election Day, it's all about division right now. It's all about dividing into camps. And there's, there's divisions of economics and gender and ethnicity. And it seems so hard to see community in which people are actually loving one another. Why? Well, I think Paul gives the answer in verses 13 and 14. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And here Paul is trying to define what true freedom looks like. And it, and it flips our ideas on its head. Because generally in our culture we say that freedom is the right to be who you are. To do what you want. To pursue anything you desire. That's what freedom is. And here, Paul flips it on its head and says, actually, no, that's not what freedom's about. Freedom is about serving others out of love. Freedom actually is about limiting oneself. To put yourself in a position of a servant to love others. That that's actually what creates beautiful community is when we actually embrace lovingly serving others instead of just living for ourselves. And when we do this, Paul says, we actually fulfill the whole law. All of God's commands are really summed up in a sense, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't focus on loving yourself. Focus on loving others. What if that's how our communities were? That's what actually produces a beautiful community. But but, but maybe you're saying, but I don't know if I like the idea of limiting my freedom. I mean, why would I want to do that? What would really motivate me to do that? Well, I think what Paul's trying to say here is actually, this is what we are made for. God's law was designed. He was our creator. He knew that this was how life operated best when we lovingly serve one another. An author I really like named Francis Chan has this quote. He says, we were made to lay down our lives and give until it hurts. We are most alive when we are loving and actively giving of ourselves because we were made to do these things. And that's actually because Jesus did exactly that. Jesus came and lived and gave up his life to save those who were his enemies. And so we walk in his footsteps. And the alternative to to lovingly serving one another to produce this good community is laid out in verse 15. Paul says, But if you bite and devour one another, if you're all just fighting to get mine as opposed to lovingly serve, then watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That road's going to lead to destruction, to broken relationships. Um, You can probably think about that maybe in your own context. Work, family relationships. I, I, when I was thinking about this section, the two different pictures of freedom, I actually thought of the, the movie Frozen. It's, it's my favorite Disney movie. I've got three little girls, and I love the movie Frozen. And it's a story of two sisters and their relationship. 
the older one, Elsa, who has these magic powers to make snow and ice, and, and her younger sister, Anna. And if you don't know anything about the movie, you probably at least have heard about the song Let It Go, because it was this hugely popular song, right? Let It Go. And it's, the song's all about Elsa, this character, saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not having any restraints anymore. No limits. I'm finally going to be me and just pursue me, and this is going to be great. But actually, when you take it out of the movie, you miss the point of the song. Because in the movie, in the storyline, what happens is when Elsa just chooses to let it go and just be her, it leads to destruction. It's not good. The kingdom gets frozen over. She has broken relationship with her sister and eventually comes to the point where she wounds her sister with her magical powers and her sister is going to die slowly frozen to death. That's what just pursuing self gets. And then contrast Anna, the younger sister. She's told that she has to find an act of true love to kind of reverse the death spell on her. So, of course, since it's Disney, right, the answer is to go find the prince and kiss him. So at a key point in the movie, she's she's almost frozen completely solid, and time is running out, and she has just enough time to get to the man she loves, but then she sees her sister in the opposite direction about to be killed. And she chooses in that moment to not pursue what she wants, but she goes and rushes and protects her sister and dies and is frozen. And what's the result of that kind of loving service? She's raised up to life. An act of true love saves And then her sister realizes that actually it's not just pursuing self that's the answer. It's actually love. And the whole kingdom gets unfrozen. And that's that's the beauty. But the thing is, we sometimes want to sing let it go, but actually want a good kingdom. And what Paul's saying is you can't just pursue self and get loving community. Actually, the only way to that is to lovingly serve others. And maybe there's still a party that's like, I don't know if I like this idea of limiting, but can you see this vision of a loving community that truly loves one another? Isn't that attractive? Isn't that better? But if we want that, how do we get there? Well, well, Paul goes on to describe now a second contrast between two ways of living in verses 16 and, and 17. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. There's, there's two opposite ways of living, by the flesh and by the spirit. And I think it's really important to understand what Paul is saying here. Because a lot of times when we hear that word flesh, what we tend to think of is body. And we think, okay, the body is bad and the spirit is good. But that's not what Paul's saying. From the very first pages of the Bible, God looks at physical creation and says, This is good. And he looks at the physical people he made and says, this is very good. And Jesus himself took on a human body. And when he returns one day to make all things right, it won't be this empty spiritual existence. It'll be a new physical earth remade and new bodies that are unstained from sin and sickness and death. Now, all throughout church history, From the page of the Bible, the church has said, no, the body and the physical is not bad. It's good. It's just been tainted. But it's good. 
So if Paul's not saying that, what is he saying? Well, what Paul, when Paul says flesh, it's really helpful to see the, the contrast. It's opposite of, of walking by the Spirit. Walking by the flesh, living by the flesh, says Paul, is living out of your own natural human bent, which is opposed to God. Ever since sin entered the world, we are bent away from God. That our human nature is not in line with God. It's out of sync. And we try to live life our own way. And he says earlier in chapter 3, verse 10, that when you try to live your own way, the result is always this. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That when you live your own way, you ultimately fall short of God's good law and the result is a cursed life. But that's not the end of the story. No, he goes on in verses 13 and 14 to say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took the curse dying on the cross called the tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing, not curse, but blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, all peoples, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, Paul's got this contrast here. Life on your own ends up being under cursing, but when you trust in what Jesus did to save, you receive blessing. And one of those blessings is you receive the Holy Spirit. His Spirit dwells in you. And so you're born again to a new life. And this life is for those who have trusted in Jesus alone. And it makes you a a new person. In fact, Paul, earlier in Galatians 2.20, when he talks about this, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, he means your physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, the old Paul is dead. When the old Paul realized that on his own he was bound for destruction, He trusted in Jesus and died and became a new person in Jesus. A new way of living. Now maybe maybe you've had a a dramatic experience, maybe even a near-death encounter, or, or know someone that has had that. When that happens, people talk about how they're not the same anymore. Right? Their their life has changed. They don't live the same way. And Paul's basically writing here and saying, Christians, you actually died. When you trusted in Jesus to save from your sins, you died and you've been made alive as a new person. How can you go back living the old way? You can't go back to living the old life, the life of self, the life of the flesh. Now you live life, a new life that God's birthed in you through the Spirit by trusting in Jesus. They're opposite ways of living. He's saying you can't say I'm the old person and the new person at the same time. Which way are you going to live? The old you or the new you? They're opposed to each other. In fact, they, later in verse 17, it says, they keep you from doing the things you want to do. And on one hand, it's true. Like, if you are living out of your own self, fleshly desires, you are not going to live by the Spirit. But there's good news too. If you're living by the Spirit, you won't sometimes do the things that you want to do that are out of the flesh. The Spirit will be like, no, no. You're walking with me now. You're not going to do that. Even if there's a part of you that wants to. This is the hope and the good news of walking by the Spirit. It's not just focus on putting away the bad things. Paul's saying if you focus positively 
on walking out this new identity, it will keep you from doing the other things. I mean, just think with me. Imagine there's a difficult situation. You can probably think of one in your life right now. And imagine if you just stopped and took some time to pray and thank God for everything you can be thankful about in that situation. While you are giving thanks, you cannot grumble, right? You're giving thanks in that moment. If you are enjoying reading your Bible and enjoying a sweet time of prayer, maybe, you know, maybe you're just enjoying you know, just being alone with God, you can't at that moment, at the same time as you're reading your Bible, look at porn. It doesn't work. Because walking by the Spirit keeps you from that. You're like, no, this is what I'm hungry for. And so, Vine family, don't just focus on putting off. Focus on walking. Focus on putting on what God's called you to put on. And I love how Paul describes it as a walk. Not a run, not a sprint, a walk. Step by step by step. Don't worry about what next year is going to bring. Just today, walk with me, God says. Remember your identity. Remember who you are now that Jesus has saved you. And walk with me, one step at a time. It's this daily call to walk and live with God. But how do we know if we're really walking with him? Well, that leads to the third contrast. Paul, Paul gives kind of two, a litmus test. He lays out two different categories of things that result from living one way or the other. He starts in verse 19 with the negatives. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Look, if you want to know if you're living out of your own flesh, of your own selfish nature, it's easy. You'll see sexual immorality popping up, impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, there's more I could list here, but this is what I'm listing for you now. And I really think it breaks down roughly into three big categories. It's, it's a life that's out of control sexually, out of control with worship, and out of control relationally. So the first three, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, it's Paul saying, this is a life that says there's no limits. There's no boundaries. I just pursue my sexual appetite however I want. And Paul says, actually, that's, that's not a good thing. And I think actually we're starting to realize that, right? Because for years our culture has been saying no limits, no boundaries. And thankfully, rightly so, there's a movement right now, Me Too, that's saying actually there are boundaries. There is a wrong and a right. You can't just pursue your sexual appetites no matter what. It destroys. And Paul's saying here, actually, there's only one place for truly loving, other-centered sexual love. And the Bible over and over again says that's in marriage. One man, one woman. It's the only spot where truly other-centered, loving sex can happen. Everything else eventually destroys and it's not just the sexual life that's out of, out of bounds, but, but the worship life. He talk, talks about idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is just loving anything more than God. And thinking you can get identity and value and power from that. And sorcery, right, is looking to spiritual areas, thinking you can get power or something from that, but it's not from God and Jesus. And he says that's, that's misplaced. And what this does is it all produces this completely chaotic community. I mean, we could go through the list of jealousy, enmity, strife, fits of anger, but just looking at that list, right? That, that, that's a picture that I don't think we, we want. 
I, I think about even events that have happened in Madison this last week. Where after Freak Fest, hostility boiled over to someone being shot and killed in a parking garage. We should grieve that. A life was just lost. Or someone was sentenced this week in Madison. For them, it happened months ago. Drunk at the wheel, killed a university student by crashing into them. That shouldn't happen. And yet we can talk about out there, but as I look at this list, and maybe you're thinking the same thing right now, I see too much of this list in my own heart. Too much in my own family. I know this weekend there was anger in my home from me that did not please God. And the, the, the heaviness of this is that Paul ends verse 21 by saying, I warn you, as I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are sobering words. So the kingdom of God where God rules and God is perfect and full of love and joy and peace. He says, one day I'm coming back and this whole world will be my kingdom. But how can you enter it if you are living in a way that totally would destroy that kingdom? You can't. No, my kingdom is, is shaped by the Spirit and the Spirit produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Not just mushy, sentimental love, but sacrificial love. Not just like patience, like you're waiting for the red light to turn, but patience that actually bears with someone even when they're really hard to love. That's the kind of stuff that only this, the Spirit produces. And if you're to look at those two lists side by side, And ask, which one do I want to characterize my life and my community? I think the answer is clear, right? Don't we want a community that's filled with fruit of the Spirit? And I think God, in his kindness this morning, is taking his word and shining it like a mirror onto our lives. And he's saying, here's an opportunity to take stock. What's showing up in your life? Now, none of us is ever going to be perfect. But what's the pattern? What's the pattern in your life? Maybe some of you this morning would consider yourselves Christians. Maybe you wouldn't. But you look at this list and say, actually, I'm way, way, way more like works of the flesh than fruit of the Spirit. This is an opportunity this morning to acknowledge that and ask God to change you. Maybe some of you are like me. You look at the list and you say, it's just really mixed. I wish it wasn't so mixed up and muddied. I wish it was all fruit of the Spirit. But if I'm honest, I see both. Again, God is so gracious. And his grace is meant to lead us to repentance, to change, to ask him for his help. So don't just blow this off. Don't just say, well, it doesn't really matter. It does. But God is so, so gracious. So that leads us to our last contrast. How do you respond when you see works of the flesh showing up? Well, Paul says in verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You might be thinking, wait, the law? What, what, what's the law doing here? Why is he talking about that? Well, the church in Galatians, what was happening is Paul came to them and said, good news, we all fall short of God's standard. But... 
Jesus died to take our curse and offers life and blessing. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. Sit. You don't have to do anything. Just trust. And he pours out his grace and love on you. And then some in the church were saying, yeah, but then what would stop people from just doing whatever they want? The law. We're going to make sure everyone keeps the whole Old Testament law. We're going to try really, really hard to do it. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. You've been a tree producing bad fruit. To just knock off the bad fruit and hope that next season better fruit comes will not work. There's a problem at the root. There's a problem at the heart. So we can be tempted, I think, when we see works of the flesh, to say like, oh, if I could just try harder, then it would fix it. Or we can be really discouraged because we feel like we can't try harder. But both of us is not what God's calling us to. He wants us to run to him. Paul says it earlier in chapter 3. He's talking to the Galatians and he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What he's saying there is, look, if you could save yourself, why would God send his son to die? He wouldn't. This was the only way and he showed it publicly by crucifying his son So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? You started by faith. You started by just trusting and depending on Jesus. Why would you try to keep going on your own strength? It's foolish. It doesn't work. And actually, this this attempt to fix ourselves is probably the number one thing we need to repent of. See, all the, the works of the flesh that we need to admit and confess before God flow from us trying to do life on our own. And we need to stop and acknowledge that that's our biggest problem most of the time. That the biggest problem is that we are depending on ourselves instead of on God. But Paul gives a better way. He says in verse 24 and 25, But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying, do you remember if you belong to Jesus? Remember when you first came to him and said, Jesus, I'm messed up. I can't save myself. He took all of your sins and crucified it. He took the old you that wasn't working and killed it. And resurrected you and made you a new you in Jesus. That's what he's already done. And you're now alive by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, he's saying, I already assume this. If, you've, if you're in Jesus, you are alive because his Spirit is in you. He's already done that. So now just keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying, don't try to do this on your own. Remember what Jesus did. Remember how he's made you alive and depend on him and walk with him. Remember, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do some things. No. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, your job is to abide in me. I'll produce the fruits. We work so hard at producing the fruit when Jesus says, actually what I'm calling you to is to remember what I've done and abide in me. And then I'll produce the fruit. 
And as you do that, stay in step with me. And I, and I love that picture of, of keeping in step, right? It's the image of a soldiers marching together. And what I thought of was the UW marching band, right? The games, a halftime show. They, they come out and they, they do all these cool choreographed things, right? But it works because they're not going, well, I don't feel like marching this way. I'm going to do my own thing. No, they're keeping in step. The steps have already been laid out for them by the choreographer, by the band director. And their job is together, because Paul's actually writing this to a community, saying, y'all need to keep in step, all right? As a community, stay together as you keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So what happens when we find ourselves out of step? We acknowledge that, right? That's the whole Christian life is admitting we've fallen out of step again, asking for God's forgiveness, and then getting back in step. Sometimes you might need to do that five times in a day. Some days 10, sometimes 20, maybe more. I know that's what I had to do yesterday. My own wife, out of step with the Spirit, out of step with Heather, and needed to get back in step to own my junk. Right? We need to keep in step. But I think what often hinders us from doing this at the end of the day is pride. Because if we are to keep in step, if we are to be led by the Spirit, if we're to walk by the Spirit, if we're to depend on what Jesus did, not us, that undercuts our pride because now we're not in control. We don't get to call the shots. We can't boast about how great we are at doing it. Now, I can relate to that. I remember a year and a half ago when I sat down with the leadership of this church and realizing I had some major issues in my parenting. And they said, we're, we're going to put this whole idea of sending you out to plant a church on hold until you grow. That was hard to hear. And then what was even harder was they said, and we're not going to tell you the three things you have to do because the problem we sense in you is that you want just the three things to do so you can just go out and do it. And I was like, yeah, just give me the three things. That's what I want. Like, what do you mean? Like, just tell me the seven things I have to do to keep in step with the Spirit. Just, just give me a rule. Just give me a checklist. If you do five minutes of prayer in the Psalms and 10 minutes of this Bible reading plan, then bam, you're in step with the Spirit. Like, don't, it would be easier. But that's not actually what God calls us to because if we did that, we'd actually most of the time be doing it ourselves. I can do this. I can get this done. Now, does the Holy Spirit use prayer and Bible reading community? Absolutely. But you can do all of those things and do them on your own strength and it's not walking by the Spirit. And it won't produce the fruit of the Spirit. No, the Spirit is a person. He's God. And he's inviting us to keep in step with him. And that means listening to him. So sometimes we're walking a little faster. Sometimes it's a little slower. Sometimes he takes us to the left when we thought maybe the path was going to go right. But we stay in step with him. And you'll know you're in step with him. What comes out is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. When those things are coming out, you'll know. You're walking in step with him. And this is hard, keeping in step with him, but it's better. And it's only through faith in Jesus. It's only in being empowered to walk by the Spirit that we can ever produce this fruit and a community that truly loves one another. We can't do it on our own. So let me just finish by reading a quote. It's a little bit longer quote, but I think it's really powerful just to, to end here. This is from Francis Chan as well. He says this, When it comes down to it, 
many of us do not really want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Or fundamentally, many of us don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. The whole idea of giving up control, or actually the delusion of it, is terrifying. Isn't it? Don't you thrive on controlling the big and small in your life? Does the thought of letting go and listening to the Spirit's guidance scare you and only make you cling tighter to what you think you have? The truth is that the Spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you wouldn't normally want or choose to do. The Spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you were made to be. But this often incredibly, incredibly painful process strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. For a powerful example of this, read in C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, about the boy Eustace, who becomes a dragon. In order to become a little boy again, he must undergo a tremendous amount of pain as the dragon's skin is peeled away and torn from him. Only after he endures this painful process is he truly transformed from a dragon back into a boy. Sometimes the sin we take on becomes such a part of us that it requires the same kind of ripping and tearing to free us. The Holy Spirit does not seek to hurt us, but he does seek to make us Christ-like, and this can be painful. So if you say you want the Holy Spirit, you must first honestly ask yourself if you want to do his will. Because if you do not genuinely want to know and do his will, why should you ask for his presence at all? But if you decide you do want to know his will, there will be moments when you will have to let go of the fear of what that might mean, when you have to release your grip of control on your life and decide to be led, come what may. Let's pray. Father, I know as I've reflected on this passage, they are good words, but they're also hard words. Father, I know that in my own heart, it can be easy to just, when I see, as I've seen this weekend, just the the works of the flesh showing up, just be discouraged. To feel like I'm unworthy to come back to you. And yet, Um, You invite us because Jesus took the curse to keep coming back to you. That your spirit keeps inviting us to walk with him. So Father, I pray this morning that all of us would have our hearts revealed by your word to see where we're really at so that we can be invited into the joy of turning away from ourselves and depending wholly on Jesus and his spirit to save us, to change us, to make us new. Pray us in your name. Amen. This morning here, what we're going to do is, um, for a time of kind of confession, reflection, we're just going to reflect quietly for a couple of minutes. It might be a little awkward. We're not used to silence in our culture, but that's okay. But I just want you to take some time, just on your own, just to prayerfully ask what God might be showing you about your own heart and life. And pray that God would help you see your need for Jesus and to run to him because he's so gracious. And then Ben will come up and lead us in assurance found in Jesus and remind us of that in communion. So let's just take some time quietly to reflect together.